Good afternoon or evening, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. And depending on where you are in the world, this will be hitting you somewhat later than my usual update cadence, primarily because I wrapped up the recording with my special guest. That will be post-processed. I'll need some time to get it all prepped and into the splice and with the pre-roll. And then, of course, I have a gift for him that I committed to do, and I need to get the gift ready, add it to the episode as well. That episode is going to air on Tuesday. For anybody who's listening to this, who subscribed to the show, and we appreciate you for doing so, but you subscribe to the show through Spotify directly or through iTunes directly, or you have a podcast application that you added directly. If you are not on Substack, which is the host, you may not know some of the changes that happened. And so I'm going to repeat them here. Anybody who's through Substack would have gotten an email. If you're listening to this and you know you signed up through Substack, you probably would have gotten an email. It may have gone to junk mail. Check that. But I put together a list of different updates and things that are going to be happening with the podcast. Don't freak out. Your experience will remain, I would say, 99.9% the same. If anything, I expect it to improve. But I have a call to action for you because it real, it occurred to me that if you didn't sign up through Substack and you went straight to Spotify or iTunes or Google or your podcast application of choice, you did not hear or see any of the updates that are coming. Thus, I'm going to summarize them here for everybody listening so you're aware of what's coming. It, again, should not negatively affect you, I would argue, at all. And it's going to hopefully bring good things in the future. Your call to action, though, is make sure that you stay up to date at CryptoTalkRadio.net, which is our site. You will see the list of all our podcast episodes. However, the reason I'm saying keep up to date on this is in a future state, it will need to be the place that I'll need you to go whenever you want to sign up to get these kind of messages and alerts because I'm going to be setting up the current host. This is all transparent to you, but the current host will become that conduit for these kinds of messages. So when you go there, if you hit Substack under basic cryptonomics, you'll be able to see the main host page. And what you'd ideally want to do is subscribe there. That will get you email alerts whenever I publish a written article letting you know when things are changing. For example, the update I did about captions, when people had concerns about captions and I gave some instructions. Some of those updates may not be relevant to you, but I want to make sure you get the information directly from me so that you're not caught off guard when things change. So ideally, keep CryptoTalkRadio.net close at hand. When you look at the image on your podcast application, it's on the image. So if you ever forget, you can always look there. That's going to be the place to go in the future. There's a couple of changes. Basic Cryptonomics right now is a daily podcast. As I start to introduce guests to the show, I want to make sure that the update cadence matches the guest scheduling. This means that basic cryptonomics starting as of pretty much tomorrow is going to be the last daily episode you get. Then I'm going to be going into a Tuesday, every Tuesday, every Thursday update frequency. So you'll get two episodes every week going forward. Now the difference in the content is going to be, I'll have where there's a guest, those episodes will be longer, obviously where there's not a guest, it's going to be a lot more focused and targeted around the content that appears to be the appeal for most folks, which is the coin coverage. So I'm not changing how I do the updates. I'm not changing how I do the messaging. I'm changing the frequency with which I do it so that I can bring the guests in to match the way that I schedule them. 
However, the quality should not degrade, I would say hardly at all, from what you've already been used to if you've been along thus far. So if you're not on Substack, this may be news to you. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to change anything on your app at all. I just want you to know that the frequency is going to change to every, basically every Tuesday, every Thursday. This will also allow me to navigate around if I have to do excessive post-processing or excessive editing, or if I'm doing other features added, it'll give me the extra time to do it. It'll allow me to work against holidays a little bit easier because I was a little bit painful around Christmas. It'll allow me to kind of navigate a little bit easier. That way I can focus on the quality that you deserve. So that's coming up here soon. And then again, the first special guest uh, that I recorded here today, that episode will air on Tuesday's release. The second special guest that I'm going to have, which is one of the tokens, should that one pan out and go through, and I'm hoping that they'll come through and we can have the conversation, that episode then would air likely on Thursday. Unless it turns out that we wrap up a little bit earlier and it's a quick and dirty in and out type of deal, in which case I would release it on tomorrow's episode. So depending on when they're on, and I'm pretty sure they're on in the afternoon or the evening because they're in a different time zone. So that's why I'm thinking probably Thursday, whereas today's guest will be on Tuesday. So definitely you want to check in on Tuesday's episode because that was a very exciting conversation with a lot of great information from an excellent person in the crypto space. You don't want to miss that one. If you enjoyed the Josh Sagala episode, and he enjoyed the Josh Sagala episode as well. If you enjoyed that episode and you enjoyed that kind of chat, you do not want to miss Tuesday's episode. I assure you of this. For today's episode, though, let's get into a little bit of news because I haven't done excessive amounts of news because I go like Hercules, Hercules when I don't have to. But there's some news that I think should be brought to attention. If you're in Coinbase, Coinbase had a breach that happened a while ago. Coinbase also, when they went live with SHIB on Coinbase Pro, had some issues with the price. The price was basically going out of whack. And people were trading at the higher price and basically getting ripped off, essentially what it was. They fixed it, and then they went live with the regular Coinbase, and everything's been kind of settled since. But if you were to go in your Coinbase application, and you were one of the originals that bought in, you can go back in history and see that the price is still out of whack. They never really truly fixed the root cause of whatever it was that caused this. Apparently, as of a day or so ago, there was a what's called a white hat hacker. A white hat hacker is basically an ethical hacker. There is somebody that purposely hacks to surface problems, and then they'll bring it discreetly to the attention of whatever service that they have hacked in order to get them to fix it because they're looking out for the interest. And I want to be clear here. If it were not for the industry of white hat hackers, you'd have a lot more breaches than you do. However, Sometimes the white hat hacker isn't able to catch certain hacks before they become a problem. And largely it deals around financial matters. So you might think like with the Equifax hack and the other ones, TransUnion, that, hey, why aren't they getting those? It's mostly because those are non-financial, at least directly. And so they're not direct targets all the time. You don't expect them to be excessively hacked. However, because of the change in data and accessibility information, how you can get access to data online, it's caused a rise of all these different hack points, you know, vectors. So these white hack hackers are trying to find those vectors before they can get exploited. That's the goal. And they'll report it to the company with the goal, again, being that they're going to fix it. So this white hat hacker brings it to attention to Coinbase. Hey, you know, you got this vulnerability here. Coinbase has a 
new product that they were releasing, calling an advanced trading platform. And I don't want to bore you with details in that one. It's not really relevant. What's important is there was apparently a vulnerability this white hat hacker found on this platform. And what it would do is it would allow somebody who has bad intentions to take the order book. And if you listen to past episodes, I've, you've heard me talk about order books. It's basically, I see all the different orders that are being processed, all the different requests, buys, and sells that are in flight. Apparently, this vulnerability would allow them to change the prices that display on the order books to weird off prices. Well, you're like, well, what's the downside other than the obvious that it's a hack? Well, the downside is that a lot of people who do limit orders will base it on the order book they see. So if I see that the price is, you know, five cents right now in the order books, they might put a limit order because they see the prices dropping and they'll put a stop order or something else, or they'll try to pump up the price a little bit by setting a higher limit. If you change that price to something higher than what it is, and somebody goes and sets order against it, those orders might actually clear because people don't know any better. They're assuming, oh, it's the order book is what it is. The reason this one called to attention is it's possible that with what happened with Coinbase Pro, when it went live with SHIB and the price was all kind of jacked up, that that same code, the same vulnerability in the code might have been in play there and might still be in play there in their main platforms. They, Coinbase, when I say they, disable trading on the advanced. They said, okay, we'll take a look at it. We'll get it fixed. And they turned it back up and everything was good. And then the hacker said, yep, it's been patched and everything's all good. And of course, the CEO, Egghead, comes out and says, you know, this is great. Love how you're helping us. Deep, deep, deep. The truth is, is like, at the end of the day, it doesn't explain how something like that could happen that easily, where you're able to literally change the order book. I mean, that seems like you would have, you would have tested to make sure you didn't have that kind of vulnerability before you released it. And it just speaks to how many of these cryptos, like Solana, for example, that's had major issues, repeated major issues. Uh, Polygon, major issues, repeated major issues. It seems like there's just a lack of due diligence in making sure your stuff's tight before you release it. I could go on and on. These are fundamental, large, big dollar things. Um, Sushi Swap, the same thing. Uh, Satama, same thing. So I don't know if it's just because of the reuse of code or different, the same people in the business and in the industry where, or it's how it's taught. I don't know where it's coming from, where there's, there's just a lax a, approach to quality and security. I'm not saying, and I'm a technologist, I'm not suggesting that these things don't happen or that they're not normal. I'm saying that it feels like they're not treating this security reliability, redundancy, QA, all these things, it doesn't feel like they're treating it with the priority and the time and attention they deserve. And that's what's concerning to me. It's not that it happened. It's these keep happening. And at some point, it's got to be, I'd like to see some sort of oversight over how these things are spun up. If you're going to create an exchange with people's money, I'd like to see some sort of oversight to ensure that you don't have these kinds of obvious things that a white hat has to bring to your attention. Samsung. Samsung has made phones for years and they've been struggling recently, as many have. LG used to make phones and then they quit. HP used to make phones and then they quit. Blackberry used to make phones and then they quit. 
Kyocera, I believe, still does, just not in the United States. And on and on and on. Motorola's still doing it, still struggling, because they make crap. But Samsung has been that last mainstay. They've been here. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still trying to fight off Apple. And here's the truth. iPhones are still the predominant phone that's out there until Apple starts releasing like a, a microfiber cloth charging 30 bucks for it. And then people are like, okay, maybe there's something else here. But Android is still a thing. And internationally, so for those who are not in the United States, it's easy to find Android devices, I would argue, versus United States. You know, you got the OnePlus and the Huawei's and the others that we we lack. We can't get them unless we import them. And then when you import them, they're like twice the freaking price. Samsung's been like our only go-to for the most part. There's still a couple of one-offs, but Samsung's kind of been the go-to. The new S22, they call it. Apparently, what they're going to do is they're going to release, uh, they just did this at a, there's an event where they announced this. They're apparently going to have in the phone crypto storage, hardware crypto storage. And they're doing this basically to, to get ahead of Apple. Anybody that knows the two ecosystems, just to put some frame on this, understands that Apple, by and large, has resisted things like NFT, things like tap to pay, things like QR scan, things like customizing your your uh, your window and your wallpaper, your dashboard. I'm talking the, the widgets and that kind of stuff. They've resisted doing any of that. This is going back to the Steve Jobs era where you just didn't think you need that stuff. Cool, but people are now increasingly embracing the idea of tap to pay and the idea of being able to trade crypto and transfer crypto but also Samsung thinks, you know, why do we have to have a separate hardware wallet for doing cryptocurrency when you can just do it in the phone? And then all we need to do is secure it and secure all the keys and then isolate it from the U.S. so that, you know, the government who already has access to your phone data can't get into this thing. So it sounds good on the surface, right? It sounds like, well, it's a logical evolution. We took iPods and other music players and we just combined them into the phone. Well, then what happened? People started going back to those music players because they realized that ultimately we want a device that lasts for days that can do this function better than the phone can. And it's hard to multitask on a lot of devices, especially Apple devices. So there's a benefit to having a separate dedicated function device, as opposed to the conjoined movement that we see now. That's why you see the rise back of things like records, you know, actual vinyl. That's why you see the rise back of watches. That's why you see the rise of hardware and USB keys and, you know, micro SD and all these things, because all this consolidation wasn't really a good idea. It serves certain people that just can't be bothered with a bunch of separate devices. But I would argue that most of those people, they're going to be kind of on your younger, they, they skew younger. They're, they're bothered by too much. Whereas your older folks, they need it to work. They need it to work out of the box. They don't want to have to fight with it. They don't want to have to deal with it. So I understand what Samsung's doing in trying to combine this stuff and try to get on the crypto hype train. I'm 100% with why they're doing what they're doing. Where I deviate and where I disagree with their strategy is, and it doesn't hurt you, but I just think that they're losing sight of the downsides of phones, cell phones. As for disclaimer, I am not a fan of cell phones. Do I have one? Yes, but it's more of a necessity and I never use it for anything. I more use a tablet to get stuff done. But if I were to do a crypto wallet, I don't want it to be part of the phone. Two reasons. Anybody that remembers the fiasco, and I believe it was the Note 7, was it? 
one of the Samsung Galaxy Notes that would literally explode when you're on a plane because it was just, it was defective. And then they had to rush to get rid of this thing. Things like that, that we can't, we can't even trust the phone to keep a charge. So that's concern number two. Okay, am I going to have to keep the darn thing charged in order to access my crypto wallet? Problem number three, what happens if it gets, you know, some sort of EM interference and it, you know, wipes the phone? Of course, that's extreme. But, you know, what happens when it goes to the checkpoint at TSA and they confiscate the darn thing? Am I going to be locked out of my stuff? What happens when I go over the border and there's certain border checkpoints where they literally take your phone and they go scrubbing through it and they come across this lock thing and tell you to unlock it? There's all sorts of questionable risk that I don't personally subscribe to. I understand why they're doing it. I think it's going to appeal to a certain subset of the population, but I think it's a bad idea to combine crypto anything with your phone. I actually don't even like to have the wallet on the phone. I prefer to have a desktop computer-based software wallet and or a physical cold storage wallet that's separate. The only reason I don't favor the hardware cold store cold storage wallet has to do with convenience. I trade more frequently than your everyday person. I think the hardware wallet plays much better for those people that they don't really trade frequently. They'll do a thing and then they kind of forget it. Cool. And of course, it's all pointed at blockchain anyway, so it's moot. I'm just saying that I really, I treat my more as an exchange, as an exchange of my own, right? It's my own currency. And I trade and transact it much more frequently than anybody else. I'm a, I mine cryptocurrency. So I have a heavier use case, I think, where I'm not a fit for this. But I do think that there are younger folks that would be like, yeah, absolutely. I just, my opinion, and I state it and I stand by it. I think all things crypto like this to this degree should be independent of a phone as much as possible. I feel the same way about two-factor. I'm not a fan of two-factor apps having to run on a phone. I would rather see that the two-factor is a separate device. I just, I'm never, with the way phones, cell phones have basically hit a, a capacity point. We hit a glass ceiling where it's not, the battery life isn't really getting better. Screen technology is improving, but we've already hit a point where you're not impressed anymore. Cameras are improving, but then we see that people are going back to digital cameras and mirrorless. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it feels like the phone has reached that point where we've still not solved the two main things that hold it back from greatness. Number one, the call quality is crap. And number two, battery life sucks. So we don't fix those, but we're adding all these gimmicks into the thing. Okay, now we want you to play your Netflix on the thing. We want you to use it as a camera. We want you to use it as a music player. And then it sucks at doing all of them. I just, personal opinion. That's just how I feel about it. Anyhow, next bit of news. Microsoft. Everybody knows who Microsoft is. Microsoft is all in about the big business. And I believe Satya Nadella has done a great job turning Microsoft around from what it used to be, which is primarily around the desktop and primarily around Windows. And they focus now on the cloud, Azure, and also getting more into software and getting back into mixed reality. I think they dropped the ball there, frankly. And HoloLens, and HoloLens is actually a thing in the medical space. They've done more than what they were doing. Microsoft is still at the top of the, at the, top of the mountain. Microsoft's account, or one of them, posted a tweet and they talked about, it was a benign tweet. There was nothing to it, frankly. But the tweet just basically said, you know, Teams calls are better when dogs are involved. Anybody that's been on a meeting, whether it's Zoom or Teams or WebEx or whatever, 
there's always this thing where a dog comes into the freaking thing or a dog climbs on the keyboard or dogs barking in the background. There's always dogs in play. And so they just, they said this in jest. It's just dogs, dogs, dogs. It's all dogs. All of a sudden, the SHIB account chimes in and they're just like, no, it's all about SHIB Army. SHIB, SHIB, SHIB. Let's spike SHIB because they're they're banking on the, the, the hype. They're banking on the tweet. Just like with Elon's tweets, it's the same garbage, even though it's a completely disinterested thing. It's nothing to do with it. Now, that said, Microsoft has been very heavy, at least from an interest, even though they haven't done anything, heavy in virtual things. They didn't originate mixed reality as we know it, but they were heavily in it with their headset. And you're like, what the heck's mixed reality? In a summary, mixed reality is I go into a virtual world, but in the virtual world, I'm still physically there and I can interact with the physical world. So HoloLens, for example, lays over certain assets from the virtual world into the physical world. So you're combining the two. Their mixed reality headset is a completely different world. So you go into, in this case, it's like your own, it's like a house that's at the top of a penthouse or something and you you can navigate around and then you can see videos and there it's a cool experience. And then you can, pull up a browser, you can browse, you can play games. So they were already in it. They were dabbling in it years ago. And it they've never, it's in the medical space where they've never gone full throttle. Well, then now Metaverse comes to be a thing. And of course, Metaverse is nothing more than just basically an avatar, a 3D rendition of said in a virtual world. One thing that Microsoft had worked on is the idea that we can create meetings that are just virtual avatars. So you would dial in, to the meeting and present yourself as the virtual rendition of yourself, but you're all looking at virtual avatars of yourselves. So they were already kind of at the forefront of the thing. Nobody has ever that I've seen in the Microsoft era area talked about cryptocurrency to date. If they're working on it, I haven't seen anything about it. What I am saying is that they are at least involved from a metaverse perspective and have been for years. It's always been something that they've dabbled with long before it was ever referred to as a metaverse. It's always concept. We got to do this mixed reality thing. We want to do VR, but in a mixed kind of form, we want to be able to use it as a use case example. They show a promo video of a doctor overseas that's able to perform surgery, but they lack some knowledge. And so they dial up a doctor over here in a different country who has that knowledge and can see from this person's headset view. Okay, I see the body, I see this. Okay, you're gonna trim this here and you're gonna do that. Something like that that's more interactive than a phone call. So Microsoft's already been at the front. And so I, I thought it stood out. I don't think too much of the whole SHIB response. They're talking about Shiba lands and all these other things that they're doing. But I don't think there's anything to the Microsoft SHIB. I only call it out because SHIB is trying to jump on the wagon where Microsoft is just making benign tweets, but Microsoft is in Metaverse to some degree, which means there could be something later to it. My last bit of news for today. I said that the current administration, and to clarify again, I don't mean specifically Democrats, because I don't think it's about Democrat, Republican. I think it's not just progressives, but the socialist folks, the ones that want people to be dependent on the government. That's who I'm talking about. It doesn't even matter what their alignment is, because I think we've diluted the alignments. I'm talking people who 
want people to be dependent on the government, that the government will take care of you, the government will protect you, and then ultimately your taxes go up. So there's a congressman out in California, and he's getting a lot of flack because he claims, and I can resonate with this to some degree, he claims that cryptocurrency hurts, quote, people of color. I, I want to comment on that one for two reasons. One, I'm a person of color, but two, it, it goes to the argument that you're, you're reaching now. You're finding any excuse to be against cryptocurrency that you will make up statements that you will literally just make up a statement out of no, there is no evidence, no basis. I can share with you right now. I forget the guy's name, but the dude he apparently had bought into Bitcoin when it was like 2013 and it was right really low. He told people to buy it. Nobody listened to him. This is not Mr. Seagal. This is a different person. Black guy. And he buys a bunch of Bitcoin at the time when nobody listens, skyrockets. So now he, he has a social media. He's on TikTok and Instagram. And he, he posts all this stuff. He did like a video where he's with all these girls around him at the beach and bikini. And, and he's with, um, he went to one of the restaurants with the, what is his name? Salt Bay, whatever the, um, but anyway, he goes to the restaurant to get one of those steaks. And all. so this idea that it hurts people of color in a generic blanket statement, I had to stop and just understand what the heck are you talking about when you say this dude? And so now he's getting absolutely beat up. And allegedly what he says is if cryptocurrency fails, then people of color will be, negatively impacted. Let me say a couple of things. If cryptocurrency fails, it doesn't matter what your freaking skin tone is. Everybody will be impacted. And I talked about that on the past episode. Cryptocurrency has become ingrained in almost everything that we're doing because they pegged it to fiat. And in some form, you're talking big hedge funds. You're talking celebrities. You're talking banks. You're talking big business. You're talking some in Congress. They all are embedded. If it crashes, a lot more, regardless of your skin tone, will be harmed by the crash. So let's put it in perspective, dude. We should try to prevent it from crashing because you should be able to not feel like this congressman or whoever is going up and telling people, well, you know, this hurts people of color and you're denouncing it, which is going to harm sentiment in it, which will cause the very harm you claim to happen. This is the disconnect, the tone deafness that I don't understand. Why, why would you even think such a thing? He says, well, it's like a subprime mortgage. It's scammy. They're trying to take you. A subprime mortgage. Let's put it in perspective here. What is a subprime mortgage? And I won't bore you in one sentence. A subprime mortgage is a mortgage made because from the bank's perspective, we need to charge you more, but we still want you to have the home. That's what it is. There's no an analogy to cryptocurrency because you have a choice of different cryptocurrencies, including the highest in value, that being Bitcoin, that you don't have with mortgages. In mortgages, if your credit, which is arbitrarily done by a computer, by the way, says that you are only eligible for this loan, but you ultimately need to keep a roof over your family's head, you're going to take that loan. That has nothing to do with your skin tone. Do we believe that the marketing is skewed towards those of color? That's debatable. I'm not going to debate it here. My point is cryptocurrency, anybody of any race, religion, creed, or color, him nor her, can invest in any crypto they want and create their own strategy that they choose. That's the beauty of it, the freedom of it. 
what he's describing is in a future state where the government controls it and regulates it because that's why mortgages, specifically subprime mortgages, are a thing because they are regulated and there are rules where they need to be inclusive, quote unquote, and not exclusive, excluding certain people that are disadvantaged. So there's programs designed for people who are disadvantaged by law to bring them in. But that's because of the regulatory climate around it. Cryptocurrency has no such. Thus, if anything, it actually is more flexible and more beneficial. The downside is that cryptocurrency is being exploited from up above, from the big whales. They're exploiting it and they're harming everybody, not just people of color. Everybody's being hurt by the exploitation of Bitcoin's price. As I talked about Mr. Sagala, it's nowhere near the vision, the original vision of cryptocurrency. And because of this, other people get harmed regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background, regardless of your financial status. It has nothing to do with it. This is, I, I guarantee you, if you were to speak to anybody who made a lot of money off of crypto, and there's quite a few that did, they'll tell you, no, this is an opportunity. That's all crypto is, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to gain a lot of money. It's an opportunity to lose a lot of money. And as long as we recognize it and keep it as an opportunity, and we educate people, as I try to do and many others try to do, as to what to look for when you're making those decisions, now we're putting power back in the hands of those who trade it. As Carl Sagan talked about, the moment we take away the education, the moment we lock it down, the moment we restrict choice, now you have lost the power. And when we take away the power, it's hard to get it back. Crypto still has some measure of power. The government, the current administration, when I say government, still has this mentality that they have to protect people. They have to keep you safe from yourself because you're too stupid to keep yourself safe. That has nothing to do with race, creed, color, him, nor her. That's the mentality of the current administration. And again, that's not a Democrat-Republican thing. That's just the current people in office, people who, by the way, are millionaires. And they think you're too stupid to get to their level, and they think they know how to tell you to get there. And so they create all this FUD at the upper levels, and they convince people this must be the case to make a pitch for why there should be regulation. Regulation, smart regulation, I think everybody would embrace. I don't think anybody wants you to lock anything down because at that point, you're getting in people's business and why would we want to do that? Then Elizabeth Warren, who came out once and she once said, you know what, all these coders and miners, you know, they run the crypto system. The truth is the people who run the crypto system are the very banks, the very hedge funds, the very celebrities, the very super wealthy that currently run the fiat system because they run the fiat system. We have not solved that problem either because we can't because we've allowed them to run the fiat system and because they own the money and because crypto is pegged to fiat, we're allowing those people to basically run cryptocurrency. That's the trap. It has nothing to do with the miners. The miners are necessary to make the thing happen. The coders are necessary to make trade happen. So no, her argument is crap, but that's because she's a millionaire and she's sitting and she doesn't understand. I just, I was really 
I was, it was weird. I, I didn't, I simply could not believe or accept or understand why that, why this even came, became a thing. But I have to, again, embrace that in the current people who are in office, regardless of alignment, the current people in office are anti-crypto. They don't want you to have it because they want you to be dependent on them because they think you're too stupid to take care of yourself. And they're resonating, I also would argue, to the lowest denominator, those that are hard luck, you know, the ones like ones that are just in true poverty. Okay. But the ones that are in true poverty, as I said on the past episode, we could help solve that if we were to embrace cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency would create opportunities for them as long as we educate them and we stop exploiting and influencing the system to where it's a rigged game. I think, you know, Mr. Sagala even said it feels like, you know, horse race, betting on the horse race or gambling, and it shouldn't be that way, but that's what it is. Every single time you buy into a crypto, you're taking a risk. That's fine. Fiat has risks, but it feels like the game is rigged. It feels like it's rigged against you every time. So you look for the ones that have good utility, then the devs screw up and you lose unrealized loss, but you still lose. It feels like a gamble and it shouldn't be that way. That's why they're trying to lock down crypto because they see that it's basically a gamble and they think they know better than you about how to manage risk. Whereas myself and many others feel like anybody listening to this show right now, you're probably intelligent enough to realize that you can make your own decisions, but you need some guidance. You want some education, you want to learn, and you want to follow the journey with somebody else that's doing it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who may misdirect because it's in their best interest. And they'll shill a certain product without any vested interest in the thing. They don't care about that and they don't care about you. They care about their own pocket. And so it may misdirect you. And I believe there's a craving for somewhat of a neutral stance. It's okay to be supportive of a product as I've been supportive of certain ones as long as it's neutral and we call out when things are not right. And I think as long as you have that education and as long as you have people that do that and hopefully more start to do that as crypto evolves and gets more mature, I think we'll all be okay. So that's my thoughts on this whole business. I just, again, it goes back to the whole, you know, it's just like uh, Joe Biden, you know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black kind of thing. They, they always go back to that. And then they, I don't know. So anyway, that's all I got for the news today. And I want to cover an underdog token. This won't take long because as I looked at this token, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't think too much of it when I first looked at it. However, I understand what they're trying to do and the problem they're trying to solve, and I'm recognizing them as worth coverage. And I think there's something here. I don't know what something is, but I think there's something here, and I want to give them at least somewhat of a platform. Token is Shiba Doge. Its code is Shib Doge. Uh, I looked at this one a while ago. Its site is realshibadoge.com if you want to check it out. I looked at this one a while ago, and and frankly, I I treated it as a gimmick, and it is, but I treated it as a gimmick. That's why I didn't do any coverage. But their first site, they changed it, but their first site, they basically were saying, you know, all this back and forth between SHIB and Doge, and what what could we do if we brought these two together? What How could we improve if we came together and we did this correctly so that everybody benefits? And I looked at it and it just felt like gimmick. That's that's what came to mind. That's what I thought of. I couldn't think past anything other than gimmick. This feels like a gimmick. It feels like 
you are just playing off of people's emotions and you're not serious about this. I let some time pass and I look at it and for the token that it is, it's got a pretty strong organic community. I think there's a support there. I think that they have some appeal in their messaging. And when I look deeper a little in there, you know, they went through the certic audit, so that's kudos to them that they actually went through that because a lot of tokens just skip it or ignore it or whatever. They went through the certic audit. They had the same kind of issues that everybody else has, which is mostly around sort of, you know, centralization. There was something about code volatility. There was a lot of things that that are not major things. They're more about how you haven't renounced ownership and da, 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 da. So there wasn't anything that freaked me out or maybe skeptical or sketchy or nervous. None of that. It was a pretty good audit result. They locked the liquidity, at least some of it. Um, they burned on launch. Uh, there's 420 sextillion tokens. I have a problem with that. And I will get to that on a different episode dedicated to that rant. However, they did put some anti-well type things in like a max wallet size. I don't know how good that is because of the token supply count, but it is what it is. And then a 5% marketing. And they they were pretty clear about, again, why they think this is a good idea. They think that the community needs to come together. We can't have the separate back and forth between SHIB and Doge. I actually put a message on social media about that, where it seemed to me that each side would go down in value the more that they were antagonizing each other. And I suspected that if they were able to work together, they could change the world. They could have something big. Because you got to think about how many holders there are on Doge alone plus how many holders are on SHIB, and their chances are as overlap between those two. Let's say there's a million overlap, people that trade both. If you took those same million and you told them each one of you guys or gals or both or neither should trade $100 worth of this new SHIBA Doge, right there, you have the opportunity to change the world. Now, I know that hasn't happened because I'm watching their graph, and based on the graph, I do see buys and sell activity, and I do see that they've got a volume that's pretty good. It's over a million and they got a market cap close to hundred million and they got liquidity of almost 9 million. So numbers look decent, good, but the holders is only 13,000. So that means they've not been able to convince either of those two sides in total to buy into this, this deal of coming together. Well, that speaks to the toxicity aspect, possibly. We don't know their specific motivations as to why not. Is it awareness that they don't, aren't aware of it? Maybe. Or is it just that they don't believe they should? Or is it that they they did and didn't buy in or they bought and they sold? Like, we don't know the specifics. But I suspect that most of the people, especially on the ship side, just don't, they don't care. They don't want to do it. And the reason I say that is because if you look at Antisenu, who dropped one token to every single ship holder, it's been decreasing in price. It's not taken off and it's not been able to succeed despite the fact that they have awareness to every single person that holds ship. And you think, well, how is that possible? The only logical answer, I was speaking about it with my special guest that I recorded with today. And he had a theory that basically, and it makes sense that many of the, what we see as holders, there could be basically dust wallets. Dust wallet means that they might have sold out, but there's a little bit left over, like 0.01 or something else. That's counted as a holder. So it's possible that with these, like Antisenio, for example, I don't think Antisenio has reflections, as I recall. So it's less likely, but still possible that she could have a dust. But anybody that has reflections, 
they're still coming in, right? And so you could theoretically have some dust based, you know, some tokens left over after you sell out of the thing and those would be counted as holders. So then if Antecimu, as of right now, still has its million that it dumped, but then Shib Doge only has 13,000 and it's like, well, how can we explain that? And the only explanation I've got is that they were not able to appeal to whichever of the sides to buy into what they're talking about. And I think it's a good idea, but I'll tell you why I think it's a turnoff potentially for them in a second. Let me go through their roadmap. So they got everything built out. They got the coin market cap, they got coin gecko, they got whales, and I, they went to influencers for it and marketing and PR. And they did all this work all the way up to their 10,000 holders. They did all this work to get awareness of this thing. And yet they still, so they did way more work than another token that has 30,000 holders, but they still have not been able to get people to buy into this thing. Now there's three main reasons. I think my opinion that they have not been able to get that appeal going first and foremost, probably most egregious. And I know it sounds petty, but I'm, I'm honest when I say that I think this is a thing to other people They're So they're using that get book garbage and look, get a great tool. I don't want to get book for your white paper. I want a flat PDF that I can download and hold you accountable because as we saw with Lily finance, there tends to be edits creative slipped in after the fact, and you need to have a flat document so you can catch them on that. So them having a Git book, I think is a turnoff, personal opinion. And I don't believe that it's a priority for them. And that's their project. And that's cool. But I think that's number one, they need to fix that first and foremost. Number two, their focus, there wasn't this banner up top when I first looked at it with the Doge Army NFTs and all this stuff. And I, I keep saying that I understand the leap to NFTs and leap to games. And I understand I'm still of the belief that you're not appealing to the older folks that would invest. They don't care about games. They don't care about NFTs. And if you promote it up front, sure, you'll get your younger folks. But even there, I think NFTs are hitting a point of saturation where it's harder to market them unless you're a board eight, which I think is garbage. Or a crypto punk, which I think is even worse garbage. So I don't, I think that when people see that, the older folks, I think they get turned off and they think you're a scam. That's number two. Number three is the supply. I'm not going to bore you with my rant here. I'm saying that the supply I think is untenable. And I think when they see supply of this much, they get turned off on it. So my suspicion is that I know you burnt half, but you're still talking what? 260, you know, I, I no, no. Once you get in the sextillions of tokens, I think you've lost the plot. I suspect if Shib Doge is serious about what they're doing, they're going to do a migration to a new contract and they're going to get that supply down. And if they do, please don't go greater than 200 trillion. I, I think the greater supply, first off, less profit potential, because unless you were an early adopter, you're not in a position to make the profit that they're expecting. So that turns people off. They feel like, okay, I've already lost the opportunity to make any money on this thing. And that's really what everybody's looking for is the option to make that money. So I don't support that supply 
and I will go deeper into that rant on a different episode. But the other piece on this that stood out for me, and it's, I am, I guarantee you that very few people care as much as I do about this, but it's near and dear to my freaking heart. Uniswap being an Ethereum token with this supply. I get that they're on Hotbit, and that's cool. But if you're going to create a token like this one, I don't think that Ethereum is the right answer because already you're setting the precedent that people are going to be stuck with gas fees unless you choose to go to Hotbit. And you can go to Hotbit, but then Hotbit forces you to do that nano USD crap, which everybody can't stand. And so I look, and the volume is down. And that seems to me to be a symptom of the newness is gone, number one. Two, a lack of interest overall. Three, what appears to be an inability to make any profit, which I think will resonate with certain people like, okay, we're done. So I'm saying that anybody who's in Shibdoge now is probably, they're, they're in it for the long haul and they're probably cool with it. But the opportunity to make profit, and there was a massive opportunity to make profit when it first launched, and I'm sure people did cash out and they moved on. Those people aren't coming back. I, I doubt it. I strongly doubt it. Now, it's possible that they may do a super burn, but at this point, you'd have to burn quite a bit of the inventory that's still remaining, that's still circulating. You'd have to burn a lot of it to make it worth the while. And if you do that and you only got 13 holders, to me, you've already closed the door on anybody else. That's why I say that I suspect they're going to need to do a new contract on this one because there's too much I see that limits the appeal of it to somebody other than the same people that would already bought into Kishimoto or already bought into Shirio or already bought into Cowboy Token or already bought into Impact XP or already bought into Shinja or any of the other multitude of tokens that have that same supply. Do you see what I'm saying? Like when you have that supply and that same set of tokenomics, you've already backed yourself into a corner because everybody else is doing that same. And so unless you stand out in some way, which this doesn't from my eyes, how are you going to be able to appeal to the people you need in order to make it grow? And your inventory is so high, your supply is so high, it's hard for them to embrace why I should do it. And I want to be clear here. I'm not trying to hate on them because I understand their what they thought was a good idea in bringing the two communities together is a great idea. I'm saying that with what you have in the tokenomics, it's all about the tokenomics, one, and the white paper, but certainly tokenomics. I just don't think it's the right answer. If you want to grow this beyond where you're at, it comes across as a scam. I don't think you're a scam, but it comes across that way to investors that are outside of the, the gambler crowd. The gambler crowd would buy into this because they see an opportunity for profit, but we're already past the opportunity to make profit unless you invest a lot of money in there. Most of the time, these tokens... They just want to toss $20 in there, which gives them, what, two quadrillion tokens and then sit on it until it goes to the moon. Let's go. This one's past that point. So I, my opinion, and it's only me, I talked to nobody else about this one, but my opinion, I, I suspect they'll need to do a new contract if they really want to appeal to more people, a new contract that really constrains the supply better than it's doing. Don't go too far with it. Again, I wouldn't go any lower than $200 trillion. I wouldn't go any higher than 200 trillion, something that's a little bit more manageable, something that's a little bit more reasonable in the price movement and the number of zeros and the, 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 keep some of the same 
reflections and things perhaps, but consider other ways to make it stand out in a crowd. And ideally by doing things that Shib and Doge, you're doing things they don't do, but perhaps you do things that they do, but you do them better. An example, and I'm giving spoilers, and if they, listen, I will share this on social media. If they would like to talk to me, I'd love to smoke, by the way. But first and foremost, I think the NFT should be de deprioritized. I don't say get rid of it. I don't think it should be prominent. It should just be a feature. We offer NFTs. If, you like, if you're interested in it, click here. We'll show you the imagery that you have. Deprioritize it on the site. To me, the priority one should be your messaging, your community-based messaging. You want to bring it all together. Tell that story first and foremost, number one. Two, everybody's doing a swap. I don't see that you're doing a swap. I'm okay that you're not doing a swap, but you have to have something that stands out in a crowd. What is that? I see a staking D app. That's good, but because of the inventory, I don't know how much good it's going to do. So what is going to be that standout feature? What is going to be that utility that makes people stand up and say, this is here to stay and it's worth doing and we're not going anywhere. And I'm not, I'm not giving an answer. I'm saying it's something to really think about as how can we build something that's going to really be that differentiator? Here's a wild eye theory, something that allows you to interchange between Shib Doge, Shib and Doge with minimal gas fees. And I'm not going to spoil what I'm thinking in my head, but I think something, something like is possible because now what you're doing is you're saying, let's create a, a pair, a parity between our token and these other two to make it easier to make that change. Perhaps you already are sitting on a ship bag and you want to use some of that instead of coming out of pocket. And then you do a transfer to trade into Shib Doge and let get, let's get the reflections to grow on Shib Doge side and then you can swap it back at whatever higher. So now you're, now you're basically turning them into a passive income type of mechanic using something you create to empower them to do that. Something like that. Once again, realshibadoge.com. If you want to check it out, I encourage you to do so. And if it makes sense for you, please, by all means, if the team would love to talk to me. I'd love to talk to you because I think I, you have the, I love what you have in your messaging. I just think right now it's positioned towards the wrong target audience for growth purposes. If we want to grow it, I think you need a little bit more than what you have. It's fine for the existing, but I think it's lacking that one differentiator that's going to cause people to sit up and take notice and so I, again, I do have ideas and suggestions. I'd love to run them by you. And if you want to chat it up with me, I love the smoke, please. By all means, reach out and we could chat and talk it through. That's all I got for you here, folks. It was a day of news and I got a underdog token in and it's a bit of a longer episode, but that's okay because I'm evolving the platform and I'm getting more tools to do this better and more seamless than before. So hopefully this has been informational. Please do share for anybody who would be intrigued or interested or possibly benefit from the information shared on the podcast. Just give them cryptotalkradio.net. Tell them to go there. They can choose what platform makes sense for them. If they're not really technically savvy, point them to Substack, which is the host for now. 
And when that host changes in about a month or so, we'll tell you how to get there. But you can tell them to go to the Substack. They can do it on any device, click it, and they can just play any episode. They do not have to download any software or anything if they're just not tech savvy because you may have older, perhaps that's not tech savvy or people that just hate technology like me. You don't have to, but share it out. CryptoTalkRadio.net. We'd love to help anybody. And if you are in crypto and you have tokens that you would love to have on the show, especially if tomorrow's guest goes through and you hear that back and forth and you'd love a token that you are currently invested in to go through the smoke, please let them know that we're here and let them know to submit the form to be a guest on the show. And we'd love to have them. We'd love to have the conversation. Take care. I will check back in with you tomorrow for sure. I can't guarantee the guest will be on tomorrow because it's an evening recording. But then after tomorrow's update, I'll be back with you Tuesday.